Welcome to this episode. We're going to talk about section 135. So the, the section heading says, The martyrdom of Joseph Smith, the prophet, and his brother Hiram Smith, uh, the patriarch at Carthage, Illinois, June 27, 1844. This document was written by Elder John Taylor of the Council of the Twelve, who was a witness to the events. So John Taylor and Willard Richards were also uh, in the room at the time when Joseph and Hiram were killed. So uh, two eyewitness accounts. Um, and as stated here, J- uh, John Taylor wrote this section here that we have uh, as a witness and a testimony testimony of what happened and of the prophet Joseph. Um, I want to share some background of what led to them being in Carthage jail and um, what transpired during that day. So earlier in 1844, there was a group of apostates uh, in Nauvoo who declared that Joseph was a fallen uh, prophet, was not the, was not a prophet of God. And they started holding some secret meetings, and they they themselves plotted to kill them. Um, so then in June, uh, about three weeks before Joseph was martyred, uh, some of these apostates printed a n- newspaper called the Nauvoo Expositor, uh, and it attacked not only Joseph Smith but the church, other church leaders, and accused Joseph of teaching false doctrine, overstepping his authority, and uh, you know, just f- these accusations against Joseph. And uh, so then um, a few days after this newspaper is printed, um, the city council essentially of Nauvoo gets together and votes to just basically like censure and say, hey, this is a bad newspaper and Prophet Joseph is there and says, like things like this are just written to stir up anger and discontent and contention. And he stated that this newspaper and this these articles were going to be dangerous, though, because it would, would stir up mobocracy. And again, although they're in Illinois, or Missouri is right across the border. If you if you go look at a map of the United States, uh, Nauvoo is right in the corner of Illinois, right next to Iowa and to Missouri, these these three states just right in this corner where they all touch. So they're not, they didn't move that far out of Missouri to get into Nauvoo. Um, and some of these Missourians had now contacted, well, uh, yeah, anyway, the Missourians are still just frothing at the mouth, essentially. Even though they're not technically in Missouri, they're still close enough. They're within stone's throw. And so this mobocracy that happened in Missouri, Joseph knew, uh, could easily be stirred up in Illinois. So uh, the city council orders the city marshal to destroy the printing press. And then, uh, so these these apostates who who printed this newspaper then file charges against Joseph Smith. And... um, this kind of sparks uh, a bunch of things here. So there's this official filing against the prophet, uh, and then these apostates stir up some some of this discontent, and these mobs from Missouri and some of these leaders of these mobs uh, start to communicate with some leaders in uh, government in Illinois. 
and say, hey, this is these guys are crazy, you know, just spreading their discontent essentially. The mayor and this so this 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 tinderbox is starting to be created that could light go off be set off at any minute. And what ends up happening is the mayor of Nauvoo declares martial law so that the citizens of Nauvoo can defend themselves from an impending attack. Now, again, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And that's why this context is important and to understand it. It brings insight. These are a people who have, they've been, they've left Ohio. They've left Missouri, multiple places in Missouri. They've been murdered, attacked, raped. They had their houses burned. Like they, these people have experienced real trauma. Like not like, Hey, let's read about it in history, but like these people experienced things that most of us will never experience in our life. So the mayor says, be ready to defend yourself so that this doesn't happen again. Um, Joseph at this time goes to to appeal to the state authorities and says, hey, like, can we try to ease these tensions? Um, and the governor of Illinois says that Joseph and other uh, Nauvoo city officials need to be arrested and go to Carthage to stand trial. Uh, on rioting charges. And so, remember, Nauvoo is still under the threat of attack. Uh, but the governor says, hey, you you come and do this trial and stand trial, and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure Nauvoo is safe. So they willingly go to Carthage. Um, there was a hearing. Joseph and Hiram and the other defendants were able to post bail. And as soon as they posted bail... They then get hit with other charges. Um, they, by the way, I glossed over this. I've got to go back up. When I said the mayor of Nauvoo, that was Joseph, by the way. So the mayor of Nauvoo declares martial law. But I and and the reason I said it that way, and but I should have probably told you it was Joseph, is that he was acting in his not as prophet, but as a government official. There's a, there's a city charter, so like it's officially recognized as a city in Illinois. So but as the mayor, Joseph declares martial law. So after they post bail, he gets slapped with more charges of treason for his uh, de- declaration of martial law. So they charge him with treason. Treason is non-bailable, so they can't post bail. So they um, are taken from their hotel that they had been staying, and they are taken to Carthage jail this time. Um, so then on the afternoon of June 27th, 1844, that a mob of several, you know, between a hundred and 200 men is what has been reported, uh, storm Carthage jail. And so again, here's these, like, think about this. Even if let's say these guys are guilty of some crime, they're waiting, they're waiting trial. Think of, think of like what, what would happen in today's world. In the United States, there's somebody waiting trial who may or may not be guilty, and 200 people storm the place that they're being held before their trial can even start and murder them. Like, that's insane, right? Like, that's that's not what justice looks like at all, even if these people are guilty. That's not what is in the DNA of the United States of America in in that all people should receive a fair trial by a jury of their peers and that they have a right to hear hear charges against them and like 
just so many things that are like, if you think about it, it's crazy. Uh, Willard Richards was in the room as well. Uh, was uninjured. John Taylor was shot several times, um, but was able to make a recovery. Uh, and this uh, section, that, section 135, was then written about a month and a half later in August of 1844 by John Taylor uh, to announce the, the death and how it happened and to sh- bear testimony of the prophet. As we as you start reading, you'll you'll read that um, John Taylor gives some storyline of what happened, you know, about what time it was. It was how many people, uh, what Joseph said, um, what Hiram said. And he shares even some of what led up to them walking to the, or or, or turning themselves in, um, that Joseph knew that it was coming. Um, John Taylor begins the section and and his writing by declaring that Joseph had sealed the testimony of the Book of Mormon and really his work with his blood. And as you look through history, there are many examples of this happening. Um, and it's the it's an emphasis, it's an exclamation point on the testimony of Joseph that he was willing to give his life. Uh. In verse 4 and 5, John Taylor tells us that as they were um, together, they read and sought comfort from the Book of Mormon and the Book of Ether. Elder Holland says, Later, when actually incarcerated in the jail, Joseph the prophet turned to the guard who held him captive and bore testimony of the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Shortly thereafter, a pistol ball would take the lives of these two testators. As one of a thousand elements of my own testimony of the divinity of the Book of Mormon, I submit this as yet one more evidence of its truthfulness. In this, their greatest and last hour of need, I ask you, would these men blaspheme before God by continuing to fix their lives, their honor, their own search for eternal salvation on a book, and by implication a church and a ministry that they had fictitiously fictitiously created out of whole cloth? Tell me whether in this hour of death these two men would enter the presence of the eternal judge, quoting from and finding solace in the book, which, if not the very word of God, would brand them as impostors and charlatans until the end of time. They would not do that. They were willing to die rather than deny the divine origin and eternal truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. Highly recommend you read this entire talk, Safety for the Soul. It's from October 2009, uh, Elder Holland. But in, their, in his dying moments, where, did he, where was he turning for comfort? What was he quoting? The Book of Mormon. And he was willing to die doing it. Verse 3 is uh, another fantastic verse that Elder Taylor uh, gives some examples of the things that Joseph had done in his life. He brought forth the Book of Mormon, was the means of translating it and publishing it in two continents, brought forth the revelations and the commandments which composed the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, was engaged in the work of gathering thousands of Latter-day Saints, founded a great city. These are the things that Joseph had done in his life and in his time as a prophet. Um, I just want to end this section with my testimony of the Prophet Joseph. 
Um, and it's pretty simple, I guess. It's he was a he was a prophet. He lived great and he died great great in the sight of God. He endured unimaginable challenges and trials. In, in in leading the saints and in his personal life, you look at him and Emma and the number of children that they lost and the hardships that they endured as a family. He was jailed multiple times unjustly, beaten, tarred, and feathered. At any of these moments, he could have given up. He could have said, you know what, I'm not doing this. He could have, had he been making it up, he could have said, you know what, this is definitely not worth it. Even if even if it not made up, he could have said, I, I'm not doing this. But he knew that he had to. Why? Because what do we hear in the gospel which we have received? A voice of gladness. A voice of mercy from heaven and a voice of truth out of the earth. Brethren, shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage, brethren, and on and on to the victory. Whenever I think of Joseph Smith and I think of his martyrdom, I think of that section, section 128, where he encourages us and says, shall we not go on in so great a cause if he can do what he did for the cause of justice? For the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the salvation and exaltation of man in spreading the gospel and in allowing and what is what is the power of the gospel what is the power of what Joseph Smith did it's he simply op- re- he was the means by which God reopened the full infinite access to the atoning power of his son Jesus Christ And if he could do what he did, can we not go on in so great a cause? Could we not be ministering brothers and sisters to two families in our ward? Can we not bicker and argue about masks and vaccines with our fellow Latter-day Saints? Can we not come together in unity and peace is like that that seems way easier than being tarred and feathered to me that seems way easier than being jailed through a missouri winter in in a stone basement and that's my testimony of the prophet joseph He lived great and he died great and he was a prophet of God. Join me next time as we discuss section uh, 136 of the Doctrine and Covenants.